Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast, where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live, feel, and overcome disease naturally. I'm your host, Courtney Versage, along with Dr. Josh Axe and Dr. Chris Motley. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast. I'm super excited to bring you today's guest, who we actually share a name, so you know it's going to be good. I'm here with Courtney Swan. She's an integrative nutritionist and a real foodist. If you follow her on Instagram, you'll know why. She's on a mission to change the way America eats. She received her master's in nutrition and integrative health from Maryland University. And her aim is to educate on the dirty practices of the food industry and how you can start to eat healthier with real food. She doesn't believe in diets. She is through and through just a straight bullet. Like she's going to give it to you straight up. I love her real approach to life, to cutting through a lot of things that maybe many people um, feel are controversial. So thank you for blazing the trail, for being with us today and having this conversation. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is going to be a good combo, but I'm just letting you guys know. Me and Courtney Swan go back way back. Okay. Now, and we, I want to just gonna tease her, her friends, but I just, this is so good. Courtney, isn't it great? Everybody you out there is like, please just be quiet and let her talk. And I'm like, I get it. Yeah. You were one of my first podcast guests, actually. Like, really? Over, yeah. Was that like two years ago? Over two years ago. Yeah, yeah. It was. That's wild. I was like, whenever you reached out, I was like, man, she, she's big dog. She coming <laughs> like, I was like, this is awesome. Like, no, that's great. We became buddies. It's good though. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's been fun. So let's, okay. I'll, t- I'll give it back to you, uh, Courtney. Okay. So <laughs> that's not Courtney two, one, hey, three. I don't know. We're all good. So, okay. Well, everybody has their story that really brings them into this world of more of an alternative approach and natural approach to healthcare. So give us a little context, bring us into your world. How did you end up where you are today? You are creating a huge movement. You know, you, I mean, you're a great personality on social media channels. You're putting out excellent content. People trust you, but how did you get where you are today? Well, thank you so much for that. Um, my story, it's funny. I feel like a lot of people that get into health usually have some sort of like chronic health issue or something that really drives them to like this healthier lifestyle. Mine was actually the complete opposite. So when I was growing up, I really had it modeled for me what it was like to eat a really healthy diet. My mom was um, this was before organic was even really a thing, but we were shopping at a store called sun harvest before it got bought up by whole foods. And I remember like, I was always kind of, I was that kid that had the like off brand, like natural cereals at home. And then I'd go to my <laughs> friend's houses and like binge on their like Dunkaroos and stuff. <laughs> so I was like, what is this? <laughs> oh my God. I loved Dunkaroos as a kid. And, you know, she was making all these amazing meals from scratch. Everything was so healthy. And, you know, as no kid understands how good they have it. And I remember I would always get in fights with my mom because my best friend was getting Burger King like four to five nights a week. And it's so funny because now my mom loves to remind me of that. She's like, aren't you so happy that I didn't let you eat Burger King every night when you were a kid? She's like, you would fight me so hard on it, but I'm so grateful for it now. So anyway, so then fast forward to, you know, I, I find myself in college. I went to CU Boulder for my undergrad and I had never, I mean, I don't want to say I'd never had fast food, but you know, I ate the majority of my meals at home that were cooked by my mom. And so I ended up, you know, I gained like 20 pounds. I, I finally felt what it felt like to like not feel good in your body. Like I felt Mm. sick. I felt lethargic. I was having all these like GI issues. I started having cystic acne that I'd never had before. There was just all this stuff going on. 
And cause I went crazy. I was like, Oh my God, I get to have, you know, all this fast food. And, you know, I was eating in the cafeteria and not eating my mom's like healthy meals anymore. And that's really when I remember like my junior year of college around the same time, my mom kind of, she was trying to be really subtle, but she was just slowly like mailing me books about nutrition and health. And this was also before, like the internet was not what it is now. And so instead of her, like sending me articles via email, she would clip little like newspaper articles and physically mail them to me at my college dorm. It was so funny. And it just kind of infiltrated me. And then that's kind of where I started to be like, oh, I started making the connection of the way I felt my body and the foods that I was feeding it. And so then from there, I started to get really into health and nutrition my very last class, my senior year, I, I had, well, let me backtrack. I had struggled really figuring out what my major was going to be. And I ended up doing under uh, my undergrad communications. And my very last class was a nutrition class. And I remember calling my dad and I was like, I finally figured out what I want to do. And he was like, you're done. We're not doing any more school. Like you've done four <laughs> years. And I was like, crap. So I ended up working in music for like 10 years. But during that time, I decided I quit halfway through and I went back to school to get my master's in nutrition because I actually, one of the books that I found was a book by Dr. Axe. I was finding all of these amazing health and wellness experts like Dr. Mark Hyman, Michael Pollan, all these people that were talking about the food industry Mm -hmm. and it really spoke to me. And so that's really, that's how I got to where I am today. I, I just, I could not stop reading about health and wellness. And I was so excited about it that I finally quit my career in music. I went back to get my master's in nutrition I ended up back in music for four years, working as a nutritionist for a pop star. And then I quit that like two years ago to start my podcast and do everything that I'm doing now. Wow. <laughs> He's lived a more interesting life. I'm not kidding. That's pretty good. Like I was a, uh, doing, uh, I mean, meal planning and nutrition for a pop star. Like, like we have like uh, this passion that uh, Courtney has been t- asked you about, like whenever that started through personal experience, did you find that like, as it grew and grew, like when you started doing your podcast and such, did people just gravitate and just jump onto that like pretty quickly because of the things you were trying to talk about, like the things that you were trying to address, like, like we're talking about the food industry. Like, I'm just saying like, um, was that one of your main things that you saw that was like the, the biggest kicker for you to go into nutrition? Yeah, that's really been the driving force for me. When I first started getting into nutrition and food, I thought that I just wanted to do a more traditional route where I was going to take on clients and mm-hmm. do that. But as I started learning more and more about the food industry and just all the corruption and how it's, it almost seems like they're trying to keep us confused about what to eat. That really became such a passion for me. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to focus on because it's really in my eyes, one of the most important things that we need to be tackling right now. That's exactly like when you have that passion, like, is that like with that information with, you know, the food industry and such, what do you consider like, what is one of the leading causes or the leading causes like obesity and metabolic disease and things of that in the U S I mean, it could, I mean, is there any particular parts of the food industry or like foods and stuff that you would say are the primary causes? Yeah. I mean, it's really multifaceted. I would say probably the biggest driver is we are infiltrated with highly palatable food, like products, Mm -hmm. or we also like to call them processed foods. You know, I don't think people fully understand that there are people whose sole jobs are to create a food that is so addictive. It hits that, what they call the bliss point, where it's kind of like that sweet spot of like sugar, fat, and salt, where Mm. you literally can't put that food down. I mean, think about like when someone opens a bag of Doritos and you're, you know, at a game or whatever, and you're just like, like you feel like you can't stop eating them. No one feels that way around like a piece of salmon. You know, you're like, okay, I'm good. I've had enough. And so that really, that's probably the, the number one driving thing. And then also we're just, we're eating too much sugar. 
Mm. It's slowly been snuck into everything. It's in our non-dairy milks. It's in our salad dressings. It's in bread, hot sauce. I mean, I'm finding it in beef jerky now and I'm just like, it's everywhere. And it's so frustrating. It's like in salsa too. Like sometimes you'll find salsa too. Do do you find like, okay, is this, uh, I like, is there uh, industrial or um, biochemical engineers basically that is that what they do with the foods is that they actually engineer things for you to actually be addicted to it like putting different compounds together and such within what we call like it's seen normal at a restaurant but really it's been formulated you're saying right oh yeah absolutely 100 it's being formulated like i said there are companies that literally hire on what they call food scientists to do this mm. and this is what the problem is is that the I think people think that the focus for food companies is on their health, but the focus for these food companies is to make money. They're focused on their bottom line. They're not focused on the health of the population. You know, they just want to sell more. They want to get you to eat more. How do they sell more? They get you addicted and they get you eating more of it. And so, so they that's can basi- really, sorry, what? No. So they can basically, they can formulate to which hormones it's going to stimulate in your body. Basically, that's what you're saying. That's, oh man. Yeah, well, and not only that, it lights off certain things in your brain. And, you know, we know this with sugar, they've done um, actual studies on your brain on sugar versus your brain on like, you know, specific drugs like heroin and cocaine. And it's in some cases more addictive than cocaine. They've done studies on this with rats. And then they also see that it lights up the same parts of your brain that certain drugs do. I mean, sugar is a drug and Mm. we're now putting it in all of our food and acting like it's no big deal. And also, you know, people aren't even aware of how much sugar is in their food. And then also another, another really big driving force of this too. And this kind of goes back to the hormones that you're talking about is there's a lot of things called obesogens and foods. And what mm-hmm. those are, are things that like endocrine disruptors, for example, mm-hmm. and we get these in our food through plastics. So like, think about all of our foods that are being, um, you know, stored in plastic, we're heating things in plastic and plastic has things like, I think a lot of people are aware of BPA, but there's also a lot of other chemicals in plastic and when heated up specifically. Mm-hmm. So think about if you're heating up your Tupperware in the microwave, or if you have a plastic water bottle in your car, I think about this all the time. If it's just sitting in the sun all day, it's breaking down those compounds and those chemicals in that plastic and leaching into the water, into the food. And these are causing disruptions to our endocrine system. And our endocrine system is what runs our, you know, all of our hormones. And, and that's why I like, I'm sorry, this is like, I'm just interested. Like, this is why when you drink, I'm guilty of it in the past. Like you drink a bottle of water that's been out in the sun. It's like, it tastes like the bottle basically. Yes. It tastes like plastic. Cool. Well, man, I'm, I'm not that bright. Okay. So <laughs> when we talk, okay. Real one thing. Yes, thing. you are. When we talk about, when we talk about like the sugars, is there a general rule that you would say, like some people would read a label and say, this has this many grams of sugars added. And then it'll say, carbs. So is there a general rule? Like some people say, I don't want, you know, I'm not eating a lot of sugars because it says it's only four grams or 10 grams of sugar, but then the total carbs is like 22 or 24. Is there something like that that people need to look out for? Is like, or is there a way to read the label that you would suggest for sugars for people out there? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. First of all, look at the actual ingredient list because there is a difference between um, like, let's say you're looking at a product and it has, you know, 10 grams of sugar. And then you look at the ingredient label and there's dates in there. So then, you know, that the sugar is coming from a natural fruit from dates and dates mm-hmm. also have a lot of vitamins and minerals. They have a little bit of fiber, so that's okay. But then if you're looking at something and it just says, you know, cane sugar, this is a huge one. Everyone thinks like, Oh, you know, cane juice or cane sugar is fine. That's just a fancy word for white sugar. Mm-hmm. And so, and then also too, you have to look at the ingredient label 
and look at the, the added sugars and also the carbohydrates and think like, okay, so what else in here is contributing to the carbohydrates or is there also added sugar in there? Does that make sense? And then another mm -hmm. thing on top of that with the carbohydrates, you can look at the fiber content and you can minus the fiber from the total carbohydrates. And that's, what's going to give you your net carbs is what they call because mm -hmm. fiber actually counteracts the, um, the process of hitting your bloodstream and the blood sugar. And so it's not going to have as much of an impact on you if you huh. have a lot of fiber in there. Wow. So like, yeah. So let's say that there's 22 grams of carbohydrates and then there's 10 grams of fiber. Then you're going to have 12 grams of net carbs, not 22 grams of carbs hitting your bloodstream. But I will say like a general rule of thumb, when you are eating something that's higher carbohydrate, pair it with a good, healthy fat. What's a good, healthy fat, almond butter, salmon, any sort of like fatty fish, olive oil, avocado oil, olives, and it, something like that. Cause that will actually help lower your, the glycemic load of the carbohydrates. And mm -hmm. also it will help keep you satisfied for longer. And we don't want to completely cut out carbohydrates, but it is good to be mindful of them because carbohydrates equals sugar. Once they hit the, the bloodstream. That's good. Yeah. That's a great point. I talked to a lot of clients about that very thing. And we actually kind of have this like way of describing it, like no naked carbs or no naked sugar. So having them is fine, but a lot of times to stabilize blood sugar, if you're just having, you know, some fruit, I mean, it's no wonder like why 30 minutes later, you're probably not, you know, starving again, because yeah. you're not getting the protein, you're not getting the fat. So having something that has a more complete nutritional profile can help stabilize and balance blood sugar, but it can also stimulate an, an accurate signaling of leptin, because we see that, yes. you know, there's a lot of people that will say, okay, well, I'll just get rid of all the sugar, but then they substitute in all of these artificial sweeteners, which then actually have this chemical, like almost like a, they don't communicate effectively because it's not a real food. It's maybe a derivative, like even stevia or monk fruit, like those are great, but they can be highly processed. So now it's not in a whole food form. So it can be confusing on mm. a chemical level in your body. So mm. you actually crave more of that sweetness. And then you dysregulate leptin, which signals to your brain that you're full. So then you continue to overeat or you still continue wow. to crave, you know, the, the sugary food. So I think that's like an interesting caveat. What are your thoughts on natural sugar versus artificial sweeteners or, you know, something that mimics sugar, but doesn't have the calorie load. So you know why that happens. So there's a process when your people forget that digestion starts in the mouth. So as soon as food hits your tongue, your body's already preparing for digestion, you know, and it's turning on certain hormones and it's getting your stomach acid ready and your digestive enzymes. And one of the things it does is, you know, so if you're eating an artificial sweetener that doesn't actually have sugar, your brain is like, okay, we're preparing for the sugar. We're preparing for the carbohydrate load that we're going to get. And then we're going to convert that to ATP, which is energy. And then, you know, it gets down there and it's like, wait, I don't, there's no sugar in here. What's happening. So then that's why a lot of people will find that if they drink, like, let's say a diet Coke or something like that with the fake sugars in there, they end up just like binging on either carbohydrates or something really like loaded in sugar afterwards, because they find themselves craving this stuff. This is what, and you know, this is one of the reasons why artificial sweeteners are really bad. Also, you know, things like sucralose, um, Splenda, which I think is Splenda, aspartame, ACE-K, all of these are known to be like toxic for the body. There's one of them. I can't remember which one specifically it might be aspartame that was initially in a lab. They were testing it as a fertilizer 
Man. And there was a, yeah. And there was a, a language barrier or something. And someone thought that they said um, to taste it. And so we ate it and they were like, no, my God. And then he, they realized that it was really sweet. And so now they're using it as a sweetener, but it was originally, you know, being used oh, as like Lord. a bug killer, which is crazy. Um, and now it's an all over food. And this kind of comes back to what I was saying earlier, where it's like, I don't think people realize that, you know, we think like, oh, it's on the shelves. It's safe. Like they wouldn't let us, you know, eat this or whatever, but it takes a long time for the science to catch up to everything and for things to actually be pulled off the shelf. But mm. I'm getting off on a little tangent here. I will say I personally, I like the, um, what I consider non-toxic and healthier sugar alternatives. I really like monk fruit and I really like stevia. Mm. And I found for myself personally, it doesn't have that effect on me. Like whenever I eat those or I put, I usually put monk fruit in my coffee in the morning. I actually have it in my coffee right now. I don't crave sugar afterwards. So I'm okay with those. And if you get pure stevia leaf that comes from the stevia leaf itself, it's good, but you want to make sure that you're not getting one that's mixed with something else. Um, and then same with monk fruit as well. I really like them a lot because I'm very, very conscious of how much sugar I put in my body. When I was mm. younger, like when I was in college, I was a total sugar addict and I was eating gummy bears and gum. I, I, every single day I had to have like a bag of candy because I was so addicted to sugar and I had to have dessert after every meal. I mean, I'm such a different person now. It's so funny. And these, uh, Mumford and Stevia really helped me get off the sugar. Mm -hmm. And what happens with a lot of people. And I was stuck in this cycle is that sugar, like we were saying is like a drug. It's so addictive. And also it creates this imbalance in your body when, you know, the more sugar you eat, then you get that energy, right? And then you crash because your insulin levels rise and then you crash and then your body's looking for more quick fix, more quick energy. It wants more sugar. If you can get yourself out of that cycle, you're not going to crave as much sugar. And that's where I'm at, where I've gotten to a place where I'm pretty conscious of the carbohydrates I eat as well. But like what we were just saying, Courtney, when I do eat my carbohydrates, I make sure that I have butter with it. Like I always have butter on my toast. I always have avocado with my rice or, you know, whatever it is. I like to pair them with healthy fats because that helps to mitigate the effects on your blood sugar. I, I would say this, like I was, when you said like when I was a kid, I remember my um, uh, dad and my brother telling me a story that they would, I would in a small house that I would in a sense go missing. And at times I would be they would see, they wouldn't know where I was at because I was small, you know, when I was a kid and they would uh, look in the corner and there was like little gaps between like the refrigerator and the wall. And they would like literally see like the Coca-Cola bottle uh, moving up as somebody's trying to drink it, hide it because they're supposed to save it for the other kids. And I was like one of those kids because I love Coke. So I would like literally try to hide. It was bigger than me. You know, and I'm sitting there like chugging Coke and I'm thinking of all the times like, you know, when you're a kid and you had like, you know, remember, you remember those um, uh, sticks that you would dip in powder they're like dipsticks or something. Oh, yeah. And I was like, yes. yeah, yes. That, that's, <laughs> it's literally pure sugar. Like, I, wow. I mean, I ate those anyway, in star crunches and fudge rounds, guys. I know you guys are out Pixie there. Pixie like, sticks. Those were no, literally man. just a tube of, it was like a straw of sugar straight to your mouth. I think they added like artificial color so that they were like rainbow colors. And yeah, and yeah it's like sugar with artificial coloring. <laughs> like what? Yeah, the inventor of that to be some maniacal person that was just like, we got a pretty novel idea. Let's just take a straw and put some sugar in it, put some food coloring in it. That's I like think this at least should give people hope because all three of us have now said, I mean, Courtney talked about the Dunkaroos, Dr. Motley's talking about the, the Coke and the fun <laughs> dip. 
I mean, I grew up on hot dogs and Cheetos and, you know, I posted the other day about, I saw a video about zebra cakes and I was like, oh my gosh, I used to just crush like the Swiss cake rolls. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what? Listen, oh, yeah. we've all yeah. been there and, but the, you know, beautiful thing is the body can always heal. So that's right. Yeah. That's right. With all that though, with these things going on, uh, Courtney, like with um, sugar being at a high, and I know we talked about this, uh, and then you talk about on your on your um, page and on your um, your feed that uh, sugars are really really highly addictive, but they also feed quite a bit of infections, you know, and they can they can actually contribute to chronic infectious states. Now, um, do you think that um, how does like do you think I'm being careful? Like, do you think how the industry is? Do they ever keep that in mind? I guess they it's always money driven, but they they have to know that that would actually cause infections and diseases. But what is their re responsibility? Is that the word I need to use? Or is like, what is their take on that? Like how it can create and perpetuate chronic infections and diseases? Like how does the food industry perpetuate this? Is that what you Well, mean? yes. I mean, I know they make stuff, but they, they'd have to know, like, I mean, Oh yeah. You have to know that it, it creates or culminates to something like that, right? Like, you know, chronic yeast or chronic fungus or something like that. But Oh, but just your well, ideas on these. Yeah. On this, you know, the problem is, is that we, we have senators, right. Um, that are creating all of the laws for this. And a lot of these senators don't really understand health. I mean, they're, they're just as confused as the general public is as well, you know? And then of course we have these companies that are lobbying in Washington, they're lobbying the senators to allow these practices to continue. And, you know, like you just said, food is made with dollar signs in mind and not the health of the people. And I, I also think too, like a lot of what's happening is that we didn't really know that this was going to be the effects on the population. I, I like to think that I, I generally don't think that there's some, you know, nefarious person that's like controlling all of this and trying to keep everyone sick. I mean, I'm sure that there is maybe some of that happening, but I think for the most part, what really happened is that we have been just so confused by what it truly means to be healthy. And then, mm -hmm. you know, like we've, we adopted some practices during the war that we have now continued on. And so like our food has really been driven by that. I mean, like perfect example, we're still paying subsidies that we started paying farmers. I believe it was under Nixon, but don't quote me on that under one of our, you know, previous presidents, um, they were paying subsidies to farmers for growing wheat, corn, and soy. Mm -hmm. And they were doing this to keep the costs down on food. And so this makes our food cheaper. This is why, or this is what keeps processed foods and fast food, quote unquote, cheap. And I say, quote unquote, because fast food is not really as cheap as people think anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's why you see corn, wheat, and soy in literally everything. So I, yeah, I think that there was another thing I was going to say, and it totally left my brain. I do... Oh, th this is what I was going to tell you. Okay. So there was a study done in the 1970s with Harvard. And what they found was that sugar causes heart disease. The sugar industry got wind of this. They paid these scientists off to say that it was fat. So guess what happened? This sparked this whole low fat movement. Mm. And I mean, we're still feeling the residual effects of that. Now there are still people out there thinking that fat causes heart disease and that fat is bad for us when it's actually sugar. So there is definitely some meddling happening. And the problem is, is like I said, there's lobbying happening. Um, there's money being paid off. And of course, like these corporations want to maintain the money that they're making. And so of course the sugar industry doesn't want the general public to know that sugar is what actually causes heart disease. So there's a lot of confusion being made. Also on top of that, these companies spend billions of money in marketing, mm -hmm. you know, like they, 
create confusion with marketing because they're selling products. They're not selling health to you. So of course they're going to mm. tell you that their sugar is healthy for you because they have a vested interest in it. Truly. I, and I'm just one more thought. I think like whenever you think about it, like uh, in my head, like, okay, for like in college, like take an exercise physiology class, right guys, we take, you know, their physical education course when you're in college and they, one of the things I always said about athletes was that if you um, build up too much lactic acid, like if you eat too much starches or carbohydrates and it can't enter to your mitochondria, like your energy production, and you don't have enough oxygen, a lot of that excess fat, uh, sugar turns into triglycerides. Like it's like, it's a normal thing. And I'm like, basic biochemistry teaches you that, you know what I mean? Like, oh, this is how sugar it can be broken down. But it's like, but we're still under that guise, like, oh, it's all fats. I'm like, no, what turns into fats, like bad fats? And it's like, it's just swept under the rug a lot of times. So I just, I mean, I'm just dumbfounded too about this. Well, and there's another thing that a lot of people don't realize is that on average, it takes 17 years for the industry to catch up to what we know to be true in science. And then it, isn't that wild? And so you think about like, when I was in school, I originally went on the RD track and then I change courses because I wanted a more holistic integrative approach. When I was in school, I mean, this was seven years ago, they were still teaching us to um, do a low fat diet with our clients to recommend that there were all these things that they were recommending. And I was like, we know this already to, to not be true. And it's because it just takes so long to change the curriculum. It takes so long for um, food industry to catch up with everything that's going on. I mean, it just, it takes a long time. I love this saying it's logic is fast and science is slow because what we know to be logically true, um, it takes a while for the science to catch up. It also takes a long time for these, um, these studies to be shown. It's really hard to do studies in nutrition because Mm -hmm. there's so many different factors in the way that people live their lifestyles and what they're truly eating versus what they're like putting on papers, what they're eating. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to pin this stuff down. That's a great point. I, I love, I, I love really how you share and not only, you know, you're educating people, you're doing a lot of what our mission is. Like a lot of people our our audience, you know, these are people that are, they see what's going on, but the problem is now, like you said this early in the episode, but you know, it's like, we're trying these companies, the food industry or pharma or whatever is trying to confuse us. So here, here we are like, you know, the three of us and our audience and, and people in our communities, right. We're all looking for the truth. And that's, what's so hard to filter through because you can't trust a label. You can't trust a grocery store. I mean, whole foods is great. I shop there all the time, but I can tell you, I won't buy two thirds of the things in the store because they're not the filter. I I don't trust, you know, I mean, I, I can read the labels. I can see what's on the boxes. And so I think that, you know, it's so important. And like the people that spend their time and, and listen to this podcast and others like it, the value is that we know we have to be advocates for ourselves. We have to hunt this information out and we have to be convicted in the decisions that we're making. And the only way we can know those convictions is to get the facts. And it's hard because you cannot trust the companies selling you the products that you, you use to live on, right? You're feeding your family. You're caring for the people in your household. One thing I, I definitely want to ask you, because this is to me probably adding so much to the confusion is that a lot of these companies now are realizing, Hey, we've got this movement of people that see the value in natural health. And so they're like, how can we industrialize or create products to satisfy 
their standards, but yet these products really aren't all that healthy. So something like an impossible burger, right? Like plant-based is so, you know, we know plants are medicine, right? So now all of a sudden everybody has this plant-based lifestyle. I'm like using air quotes here, which I love plants. I have a plant-based lifestyle. I also include a lot of good sustainable uh, meats, you know, support small farmers that are doing it well, but give me your take on some of these companies that look like they're serving people that are trying to better their health, yet the product might not actually be in alignment with what your standards really would be if you knew what that Mm, product was. Good question, man. It's good. Yeah. I love this. Okay. So a lot of these companies are doing what we call greenwashing and they make these labels look beautiful. They create these photos, um, on the front that make you think of like rolling pastures and cows living out on the grass and all this stuff. And then you look on the back and you're like, the first two ingredients of this are canola oil and like soy protein. Oh, it's crazy. And that's what we call greenwashing. And this is why it's so important. You can't just look at a label or like the front of the package anymore and know and think that it's healthy. Mm. I have a really big problem with these fake meats and I'm going pretty hard at after them on my Instagram right now, because I, I believe that they are, they're taking advantage of this plant-based movement and so many people wanting to better their health. And then they're saying like, Oh, here, try this. It's really healthy. And just because it's plant-based does not mean that it's healthy. I mean, you Mm. look at the first two ingredients on Beyond Burger, for example, after water, and it's pea protein and canola oil. We know canola oil is one of the most unhealthy inflammatory oils that we can eat. There was a study done a couple of years ago on canola oil, and they were saying that it's actually worse for you and harder on your body than smoking cigarettes. And that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the effect that it has on the cardiovascular system, um, it's highly inflammatory. I think a lot of people don't understand that the, there is no, well, there is such thing as a canola seed, but it's because they genetically modified it from something called the rapeseed. So it was originally a rapeseed. It was something really high in uric acid. And Mm. so what they did was they genetically modified this seed to be lower in uric acid, which is why it's called canola oil because it's Canada lower acid oil. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's great. Go ahead. I'm yeah. What? So already it's genetically modified. So we know mm. that it's um, going to have a higher pesticide and herbicide load in its production. And then it's not really super easy to extract the oil from it. So they have to use hexane as an extractant and hexane is a widely used solvent, but it's an industrial cleaner and degreaser. And it's easily absorbed through the skin and inhaled. And it's been recognized for more than 40 years to cause lasting issues in uh, like nerve damage in legs, feet and hands, et cetera. And then on top of that, so then after that, they use all these chemicals to remove the color. I've been told that the canola oil plants smell so rancid because apparently canola oil smells so bad. They chemically deodorize it so that it has no smell and taste. And then we're marketing this as heart healthy. And then we're throwing it in all these products. And so, and what I think is so funny is, um, on top of that, we're being told like, okay, we're being pushed this narrative right now that everyone needs to go plant-based. It's better for the environment. These products like beyond burger and impossible burger, et cetera, are actually contributing to this monocrop culture that is creating the problem with climate change. And we can go into that too, but yes, go girl, go there. (laughs) Like, Let's go. So that's Well, that's what's so funny about all this is I'm like, it's so ironic. People are buying these plant-based burgers and they think like, oh, this is really helping the environment. 
I'm like, this is directly contributing to exactly what is causing climate change right now. So a lot of people are unaware of this, but a lot of what is contributing to our climate change is our industrial agriculture and farming, like this huge complex, right? So we're tilling the land, um, which means that we are digging up all the topsoil. And what a lot of people don't understand is your food is just as healthy as the soil that it grew in. And when we're ripping up this topsoil, we are completely um, ripping through the ecosystem. We're getting rid of all the nutrients in the soil there. It's not able to absorb the moisture from the rain as much. So this is why farmers are seeing more droughts. Imagine like, imagine if you were to spill a cup of water on like a big fluffy rug, the water is going to absorb in the rug. But then imagine if you were just to drop it on like, you know, concrete floor, it's just going to sit there. And that's kind of how it is when we tear up this top soil, the water just kind of sits there and it doesn't actually absorb. And we need it to actually absorb to have healthier soil. Right. And so this is causing massive droughts. It's also messing with the weather systems. And it's why these farmers are experiencing more like hail and just really extreme weather in general, which again is kind of creating to the climate change. And then on top of that, we are not allowing then there's something called carbon sequestering. And what Mm. happens is when the soil is healthy, it actually helps draw carbon out of the atmosphere and it brings it back into the soil and it's food for the soil. Now this is actually helping us reverse climate change because we have so much carbon in the atmosphere and we're trying to get rid of that. And so this is kind of a process. This is why I am such a huge component for regenerative farming. Cause what I just described is basically like getting back to this more like natural holistic way of maintaining the land And part of that is not using the pesticides because pesticides are also destroying the soil health. Pesticides are known to be antibiotics. So they're killing off all of the bacteria that we need in the soil that actually feed those roots, feed the plants, feed the soil. Um, It's also disrupting our own gut and our own microbiome. And then the tilling, of course, like I said, so with regenerative farming, what actually happens is they grow a wild, diverse amount of different plants. And what I mentioned earlier, which I really don't like about the um, plant, the impossible burger and et cetera, is that they are grown in monocrops. And if people don't know what monocrops are, it's basically like um, if you were ever to drive by like a farmland and you just see rows and rows and rows and rows of the exact same plant, whether that we do that notoriously with soy, wheat, corn, um, there's no diversity in that soil. You're just growing one plant and then they just overplant, overplant, overplant. And what you want is just like with our microbiome, you're not going to be healthy if you're just eating kale all day. And that's the only thing you eat. You mm-hmm. want a variety of plants and um, vegetables and, you know, meats, et cetera. It's the same with the soil. You need to have a variety of all these different crops growing on there. And with regenerative farming, they have all these different crops growing. And then on top of that, you have the animals that come through um, their hooves actually like help to push in the seeds. Um, they're grazing. So they're naturally like weeding. And, um, it helps with, with all of this, with the, the health of the soil and also the health of the, the, um, actual produce. And on top of that, it helps to maintain this carbon sequestration, which is what brings the carbon out of the atmosphere and back into the soil. Golly, that was, I mean, I, that's great. <laughs> I, I did not, I mean, kind of like my, so, I'm just saying that like, this is like a lot to take in. So, yeah. I mean, like with that much, um, with regenerative farming, are we starting to see, like with the regenerating farm, regenerative farming or, I mean, I get, there are some places that were, I guess in the nation, but is there a, a movement at all? Is there more people starting to try to do this at all? Or is it the, is it the industry is trying to keep it low and keep it down? I mean, there's definitely a combination of both, right. You know, because big ag people don't realize this, but big agriculture is a massive moneymaker. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people now know the name Monsanto, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely 
um, big agriculture companies, especially the big pesticide owners like um, Bayer owns Monsanto now, and they are one of the biggest producers of glyphosate, which we should also also go into. But yeah, so these companies don't want to lose their business with pesticides, obviously, you know, but there is a huge resurgence of these farmers that are getting back to these natural practices because what I mentioned earlier, what they're realizing is um, it's actually helping them and also their their yield with their produce, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So there was a, there's a really amazing documentary on Netflix. Everyone should watch it. It's called kiss the ground. And they go into this extensively and they can talk way more about regenerative farming than I ever could. And there's a, they interview this one farmer and his story is so fascinating because so for three years in a row, he was having such horrible, um, like rain, hailstorms, droughts, all this stuff that he lost all of his crops for three years in a row. He did not make a single dollar. And he came across this new practice of doing regenerative farming. He completely changed his farm. And now he's like, I'm so, I have so much produce. I don't even know what to do with it all. Like his, his land is so bountiful. He doesn't have the same weather systems anymore, because like I was saying, it literally has an effect on the actual weather and the ability for the crops to hold on to rain. So droughts don't affect him as much anymore. So as farmers are starting to realize this, they're understanding that if they continue down this industrial farming path that they're not going to get the same yield as if they actually lean into nature and they do kind of as we were intended to do. That's a great point. And I I think like as consumers, because, you know, we're all consumers, all of us, and we rely so heavily on the food industry to provide that because we're not, majority of us aren't farmers. I mean, I aspire to be a farmer, but <laughs> it's currently not in my lifestyle. So, How's that going, Courtney? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. in process. <laughs> Check back in a year or two. Exactly. But, you know, as the consumer, you carry so much power because every time you shop, you vote with your dollar. So I think like one thing, Courtney, I would love for you to share too, is how do people find where these farms are to support them? Because I would be willing to bet most people are like, I, I would love to choose to support that. Like, is it, is it best to look for, you know, to go to your local farmer's market and talk to people that are local to you Are you know, now we have these subscriptions, you know, you can do butcher box, you can do crowd cow, you do all these different things where they support, you know, other farms that are vetted that do, you know, that, that have carry out really high practices for maintaining their animals and their land. But again, like that takes a lot of legwork. And then again, do you really trust that these companies are doing what they're say they're doing? So how do you go about it personally? trying to support, you obviously want to have the best food, the best produce and, you know, meat products and things like that. But how do you, what is your system or process in trying to figure out, okay, where am I going to access those? Yeah. I mean, so there's a lot of different options. I would say first and foremost, if you have a farmer's market near you, yeah, go to the farmer's market, talk to your local farmers, ask them how they're raising their animals, what they feed them, et cetera. That I would say is probably the best place to start. If you don't have a farmer's market near you, there are a lot of places online. My personal favorite place to get meat from is force of nature. They Mm. are a regenerative farm outside of Austin. They're in Fredericksburg, Texas. And I just love them. They also are the only company that I have found that puts organ meats in their ground, in their grounds, which is amazing. And you would never, you would never even know. So you can make like this all now. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that organ meats are actually really healthy for us. Actually, I want to go off on a little bit of tangent and then I'll come back to this just because I wanted to say this during the plant-based part. And I forgot we are being so infiltrated right now with this message that meat is bad. Meat is unethical. 
um, meat is contributing to climate change, et cetera, et cetera. What I just mentioned with regenerative farming and the reason why I'm so passionate about it is it, it kind of, um, it creates a solution for all three of these things that we are concerned about right now, which is the ethical reasons, the environment and the health aspect of it all, because we are not getting healthier as a population right now by eating more of these beyond burgers and impossible burgers. Also on top of that, it is really, really hard to get um, some of your essential nutrients from a plant-based diet. It just is the reality of the situation. Red meat is loaded with almost every single essential nutrient that your body needs. If you were to eat the animal entirely from like nose to tail, you would meet the requirement for every single one of these nutrients. You can't say the same thing about a plant-based diet. Mm. And there's certain nutrients like B12, vitamin A, retinol, vitamin K2, DHEA, that are only available in sufficient amounts in animal products. And then on top of that, a lot of people aren't taking into consideration that, and you can probably speak to this, Dr. Motley, that there are a lot of people that suffer from genetic mutations that they're unaware of that don't allow their body to um, break these nutrient down, nutrients down from plant foods into bioavailable nutrients. Yeah, there definitely is. I, I mean, I'm not trying, I know that's a good discussion, but that's the truth. Like many times, like, um, uh, when we're doing any testing here at the office at times where you'll find that people do have adverse effects to having like even certain types of plant fibers or uh, plant like cellulase and, and different types of uh, components of it. And I mean, I know as well as we could go into this whole route too about with um, uh, more of, a, I say a carnivore diet. I've had many individuals, I understand many people just want to stay vegetarian, vegan, but I'd say that I've had oh. people that really have done really well with chronic infections and literally just from eating mostly just meats or, or animal products. And I, and I was at first, I kind of not say doubted. I knew that the, that organ meats were so high in stru and, but finding out that there are certain types of components that are the precursors for hormones and such, and people's moods yeah. are getting better and people are actually like happier now when they eat all that. So it's, it is a lot I mean, you're right. It's, it's about how most people, they actually decline. Like I was at a, a conference where we were talking about genetic uh, SNPs and genetic mutations and, and such. And, and they were discussing that some of the individuals out there, I know that they were saying that people do want to be vegan and vegetarian, but many of the genetic reports, there are genes that are only activated by the organ meats or by the nutrients yeah. you get from red meat. And they were like, you're totally going to miss this. Like sometimes your Krebs cycle can't turn on because it doesn't have this. So you'll see people on, you know, and we were talking to the you know, preach it to crowd. We know this, but it's like for people out there, it's no, like yeah. you need lots of plants, plant-based diet. They were finding that people, their health certain would decline. And then they would just start incrementing small amounts of meat. And they would be like, they went right back up because they're getting the necessary B vitamins and such. So yes, I see that quite a bit. So keep going. I love this. This is great. Thank you. Well, no, that, I mean, that was great. And that was exactly what I was speaking to. And unfortunately, uh, people aren't getting this part of the conversation. We're just being so infiltrated with plant-based is better. Meat is bad for you. Um, it's unethical. It's better for the environment, but it, I mean, this, we're just being fed lies right now. And then on top of that, you know, if it's very, like I was saying, it is very, very hard to get all the nutrients that you need from plant-based foods. Um, mm. and, on, and then on top of that, you end up carb loading. And then it goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's like, you want to be, you want to be managing your blood sugar levels. And it's really hard to do that if you're eating majority of carbohydrates, because then you're going to be in this constant cycle of insulin up, and then you crash and then you crave more sugar. And, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. It also leads to chronic diseases like PCOS and diabetes. And, you know, we're dealing with all of this right now in, in such high numbers. And so it's, it, I think it's really important to have this conversation that it's not, that, that meat is not unethical and it's not bad for the environment. And if it's done and raised in the right way, it can be actually better for our overall health and better mm. for the environment 
there's a, a famous quote that, um, this woman, Diana Rogers, I follow her, the sustainable dish on Instagram. She's amazing. And she always says, it's not the cow, it's the how, meaning it's not the actual cow itself. It's what we're doing with the cows. That is the biggest issue. So mm. yeah, I am a huge I'm very vocal about how against these CAFOs I am, you know, the, the animal feeding lots where they just load them up with corn, wheat, and soy, and they're really sick and they're on antibiotics and they're on hormones. Mm -hmm. That is no way to treat an animal. And that is very unethical. But if we were talking about getting our meat from regenerative farms, which is what I was mentioning earlier with force of nature. And then this kind of goes back to your original question, Courtney, people can also Google regenerative organic farms and see if you can find one near you or you can order from force of nature. Like I said, um, that woman that I just mentioned the sustainable dish on Instagram, I can't remember her exact link. I'll give it to you guys later. If you want to put it in the show notes, but she has a, I believe it's called like global justice, something like that, where people can actually go and it's a resource to find all this and also how they can get more involved if they're really interested in, in regenerative agriculture and all this. And it gives resources on like where to find good, healthy meat. And then lastly, I will say, a lot of places are starting to carry organic grass-fed meat now. I've seen it at Trader Joe's. I've seen it at, uh, this is local to LA, so I don't know where people are, but like Vaughn's, Ralph's. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen it at Walmart and Target. It depends what? on the area that you're in. Yeah. And <laughs> by the, you know, it's usually only, I've, I've compared a lot of prices because I've done a lot of this on my podcast where um, we actually... My producer and I, we take a really like, um, really popular fast food item. So let's say like we did the, uh, crazy, oh my gosh, the cheesy gordita crunch from Taco Bell. <laughs> we went and we bought all the ingredients to make that everything was organic. And we also make sure that we buy it from places like target Walmart that are more accessible for people not like whole foods or something. And we actually made all these different fast food items for cheaper, all organic than if you were to buy it from this place. And if I was looking at all the prices of this and like organic grass fed meat for the most part is usually only like a dollar more expensive. And I don't want to invalidate people's um, financial. I know a lot of people are in, you know, have financial concerns and whatnot, but if you really do compare the prices for the most part, if you're shopping at places like Trader Joe's, et cetera, they, it really is not that much more expensive. Oh man, this is good. I, 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 I anything else. Corey, I wanted to ask her some stuff about one of glyphosate and pesticides. I want to go to that. Yeah, no, I think this is so helpful. It's so I, helpful. I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm reeling on this. Like, so when we're talking about regenerative farming and I know we, we had these processes and we, before we kind of touched on um, uh, glyphosates and pesticides, can you just give us your, your, you know, your, uh, you know, somebody who's probably doesn't know anything about like, what are we talking about genetically modified or pesticide laden foods? Yeah. So what's, how um, heavily is this in our culture today? Like in the industrialization of like pesticides and stuff is it everywhere. Um, can you give a, a simple brief description? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's really terrifying. Uh, glyphosate is the most widely used herbicide and it is um, it was originally created by Monsanto. I think a lot of people don't realize this. It was, I don't know if glyphosate itself was made from this, but we brought pesticides back from world war II from Germany. Mm. They were, this is really dark. I'm sorry, but, um, the same chemicals that we're spraying on our food were what were being used in the gas chambers in Nazi Germany. And because basically what happened is they just repurposed them to then fight quote unquote, fight the enemies on the farmland in the U S and the enemies oh, yeah. on the farmland are, you know, the bugs, the pesticides that we are dealing with, with plants. And so we already knew that these were toxic chemicals that were spraying on our fields. But I think at the time when we were doing this, they weren't connecting like, oh, we're spraying this on our food. What's it going to do to our food? Because a lot of people, I still see this to this day. People think, oh, well, I can get the, you know, the non-organic and I can just wash it off. 
But what people aren't understanding is that when you're spraying these fields, it's going down into the roots and into the soil. So the, the plant itself is being grown with these pesticides and herbicides that we are spraying. And then on top of that, a lot of these crops are then sprayed again. Once they're harvested, wheat is really notorious for this. Once they've harvested the wheat, they spray it down with glyphosate to dry it out. And for people that don't understand what glyphosate is specifically, it's also known as roundup. It's Monsanto's like baby golden child of a pesticide. Every I'm sure like a lot of people's parents still have this in their, in their garages. I found it in my dad's garage a couple of years ago. And I was like, get this out of here, like threw it out. I was like, this is horrible. Like people are spraying their grass with it. Your dogs are in the yard. Your babies are, you know, crawling around outside in the yard. And we know oh. now, I know it's really sad. And this oh. is back again to what I was saying earlier is it takes a long time for the science to catch up. We knew in 2015, the World Health Organization was already sounding the alarm on it. And at the time they were calling it a probable human carcinogen, which means that it causes cancer. We now pretty much definitively know that it does. If you just Google Monsanto and lawsuits, you will find that they are in billion dollars worth of litigations right now with all these farmers that were contracting cancer from mm. um, being in direct contact with glyphosate. And then I just, I always tell people this, think about this logically when you're farming conventionally with these pesticides, you can Google this and see the images the people that are on the field, like we imagine, um, you know, this, you know, cute farmer and they're in their overalls and they're like planting and whatever in this huge industrial monocrop farming situation, they're actually in like hazmat suits with these backpacks with the pesticides and they're just spraying down. And you think about like, okay, so they're having to wear hazmat suits and gas masks when they're spraying this down. And then we're oh just putting it on the grocery shelves. Like, okay, here's your healthy, you know, kale or whatever that we just, <laughs> mutilate it, like sprayed down with this toxic crap. And, you know, and there's a lot of them and glyphosate really has been, um, on the radar the most, just because it's the most widely used and widely available. Um, and it's still being used today. So this is why I'm such a huge proponent for organic food. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, because of farm runoff and just because of the wind and spraying, it's getting into organic crops as well. Um, it's getting into our water. This is also why a water filter is really important because you want to filter out all of the pesticides um, heavy metals that are in water and, um, not to mention pharmaceutical drugs are being shown up in water now as well. And so this is why I'm such a huge proponent for organic. I know this all sounds like doom and gloom and like, what are we going to do? I, I also like to remind people we're all doing the best we can buy organic whenever you possibly can. There's some stuff that's just literally, literally out of our control. Mm -hmm. Um, but what Courtney said earlier, this is also why it's so important to vote with your dollar, because as we are putting our money into farmers that are actually taking the time to grow food as nature intended. They're doing it holistically and taking care of the animals and not spraying down with pesticides, which again, I think I mentioned this earlier, but also the pesticides are what are contributing to climate change as well, because it's, you know, it's messing with the ecosystem mm -hmm. of the soil and all that. And it's also messing with our guts. So it's also an antibiotic, which means that it kills off all the good bacteria well, when we're consuming glyphosate, then it's messing up with our guts. And no wonder so many people have G GI issues now mm. because we're messing mm. with the microbiome and the microflora that lives in our gut because we're killing it off with glyphosate. So I think that's, I think I covered everything with glyphosate and this is why, again, organic is so important. Mm. Oh man. I, I, I remember when you say that, um, I've had many patients that have come in and truly they've, they've said like their, their parents were farmers. And uh, many of them like uh, would tell me that some of had died from, you know, Hodgkin's lymphoma and some had mm -hmm. died from lung cancer and such. 
and they never smoked or did anything, you know, and they said like, they said, oh, they suspect that's what the, the, the kids would say. They're grown now. And they said, well, I suspected it was all the stuff they used on the land because they said, I can remember when my dad would literally take bags of powder to put it into mix. And he said, it would just be up in his head. And he's like, and some, he said, one of the patients mm. said that their, their dad would be out in the fields when a crop duster would go over. And they would just do it. And he just used to it. And he would just get, you know, dusted while I was out there and stuff like that. Mm. And he says it all the time. But it is a, and I heard a one uh, scientist say one time, he said they were showing this video about um, a small insect where they put the pesticide on it. And it showed how it basically destroyed the internal mechanisms. Like it destroys like metabolic function. And he made a point and it kind of got to me. He goes, you know, this does this to an insect on a very small, minute cell, I mean, scale. But you eat this food every single day. And it builds up and guess what it does to your cells. And I was just like, oh my word. Like, you know, and like that just to me, it's like people are changing their minds because they're actually starting to see like we we have patients that you see their guts are like torn up and such. But sometimes you'll test patients and they'll need stuff to help like like dandelion, they need burdock root. Sometimes they need clove to help clean out those uh, the glyphosates out of their digestion. Mm-hmm. And I've seen amazing results just from somebody healing the brush border in their intestines because they had so much pesticide and it's and you know like it's crazy because you know they did grow up around farmlands and things of that sort so it is a big problem out there and i went on that tangent just to say people don't eat glyphosate you don't eat pesticide uh, you know heavy foods or anything like that so courtney yeah. courtney b you have anything you want to add into it i'm sorry if i just talk too much but yeah no. Great. There's Go ahead, Courtney. One more thing I wanted to say, cause you reminded me of this. So this is also why it's so important to eat organic corn because, uh, genetically modified corn is for the most part, if it's the roundup ready. So there is a corn that Monsanto engineered called roundup ready corn. And what it, what it is, is it has the roundup in the actual corn itself. And they know this to be true. I remember when I learned this, like 15 years ago, I was like, why did we think that this was okay for humans? When the insects eat this Roundup Ready corn, it causes their stomachs to explode. And we know this, like when we put this on the market, that's how they marketed it. They were like, yeah, this amazing product. It makes the insects stomachs explode. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, well, what does that mean for our stomachs? What is that doing to us? And of course, bugs are a lot smaller, but like you said, if we're eating this every single day, day in and day out, like it's not going to not have an effect on on us eventually. I can't believe they. I mean, okay. So this is another crazy thing. So guys, like, uh, I would, I spent some time out in Hawaii with some patients and stuff like that. So they would have that, um, you know, heavy, uh, heavy metal testing and they would do some organic acid testing. And like you say, like they're making these things. And so out there, and it seems like I'm switching gears, but on, but I would find like with their reports, they would have high amounts of pesticide in, in certain t- acids that were like for that. And I was like, but I knew the people, I mean, they ate well, they lived in the mountain stuff, but I didn't know that there was a, a Monsanto. There was a, a they have mm. a huge factory in one of the islands. And so um, some of the, the things that were alarming people, and I'm not saying this, I don't know, I'm not a biochemist in this way, but they were saying that you write the fumes and some of the, the, the way that they test can easily get on air, air um, currents and, and travel over to the other islands and stuff like that. And they're finding people getting, having some sicknesses in association with that. So I thought yeah. it was really, really interesting, but Yes. I I'm, I'm with you. It's just, like you say, it's just eating small amounts. It's like the boiling, the frog, you know, like you yeah. eat it up slowly. Yes, oh man, exactly. this is a great convo. I'm telling you, I'm like, this is, this so, is good. Be good. It's so It's so good. I, I, I'm, I'm so, so happy. I'm with so glad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hope that this has served everybody that's listening and, and like Courtney's, you know, mentioned, I mean, we're all living in the same world. So it's not like, you know, don't ever feel discouraged. Like this is an uphill battle. I will never win. Like we're all doomed. 
Um, you know, I think that's why we're all here is because we realize that there is such a heavy emphasis on the lifestyle that we live. We're all choosing foods every single day. We're drinking water. We're actively trying to support our bodies. And even with detoxification, like glyphosate is almost everywhere. Even like you said, the runoff with water, you know, and the carryover is almost everywhere. They're testing organic soil and finding, you know, different types of chemical compounds that are showing up. But what we can do is support the farmers that are doing it well, and then we can help support our detox processes. So we can make our homes a safe place for our bodies to recover. So mm. purchase things like non-toxic mattresses, go back and listen to that. We have so many episodes and, and both of you have, have spent so much time educating people on your platform. So make sure you're following people that are, are sharing good, true sound information because they'll help guide you. And the more, you know, the better you're going to do. So it's not about getting to the finish line right now. I learn every single episode, Dr. Motley, you and I do we're, we're, oh, there's man. so much we always take away, but I feel empowered with it. And so even, you know, some of the things you talked about today, Courtney, with regenerative farming, and I know that regenerative farming is actually something that's very important to Dr. Axe. It's something that he is heavily involved in and invested in, but I, I didn't know much about it, you know, until recently. And it's something that I appreciate so much about you because you do communicate what it is and how people can support that and how they can actually utilize, you know, some of the products, the produce and the animal products that come from these types of farmers. So I hope that, uh, that everybody at least feels encouraged and inspired to, you know, better their lives in some capacity. Um, but before we go, we have to make sure that everybody knows how to find you. Your Instagram is fire. I love everything you post. You're so great. Real foodology, but tell us, tell us about Instagram podcasts, everywhere that people can access you. Um, make sure that, you know, line us up with all the details. Yeah. You know, before I do that, I want to speak to a little bit what you just said. That was so beautifully said. And I wanted to just reiterate that, that I don't want people to be discouraged and feel like that there's no hope because there are so many amazing people that are really, um, taking this head on mm. and doing the right practices and creating a better world and creating a better food system for us. And the way I see kind of my role in this is just to inform people because then the more informed we are, then we can make better educated choices and then we can support the people that are doing it the right way. So don't be discouraged. I have such like, even though it sounds all doom and gloom, I'm so optimistic for all of this because there are so many amazing people that are doing so many amazing things in this field and, um, just be hopeful. We're going to, we're going to get through this and there's a lot of solutions. So, um, anyways, thank you. First of all, for having me on, this has been such a fun conversation. Oh, so fun. We were so glad to have you. Yeah. Yeah. I loved this. As you mentioned, I have uh, an Instagram, it's real foodology. And that's kind of where I talk about everything that we talked about today. And I, I, yeah, I just try to educate people on everything that I'm learning about food and how you can kind of navigate this tips and tricks for the grocery store, what you really want to be paying attention to and how you want to kind of be, you know, what, what you want to be buying. And then of course I have a podcast as well. It's called the real foodology podcast. It's on all major podcast platforms. And I'm having all of these kind of conversations on there and we dive into basically everything having to do with health and nutrition. You know, we talk about hormones and we talk a lot about regenerative farming and, you know, thyroid conditions, et cetera. Like we really go into all of it and, um, it's really been a passion project of mine. So I love it, but, um, yeah, so that's really where you can find me mostly I'm on Twitter. I'm not as active on there. I would say like Instagram and then my podcast. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, I just want to say this. Thank you so much. And uh, guys out there, when you guys see her her feed, see her page, see um, Instagram, the one thing I really appreciated about, about what she puts out there is that she always gives you 
the facts, like she'll show you what she's talking about. And when you see her feed, she will actually show you in writing what she's talking about. So it's not like a hearsay thing, which I really deeply appreciate. So guys, check her out. I'm telling you, I'm, Courtney, I really appreciate this. And, um, you know, when we have uh, different avenues of health, I mean, we always say it's holistic. So when it comes to this nutrition, we're like, we got to get somebody out here that's going to tell them, lay it down for us. So we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. The, the Courtney's man, we're, this is great. And we're both blonde. I know. <laughs> I love it. Same things. We live on opposite, opposite coastal ends. I'm all the way East coast or all the way West coast, but you know what? We cover a lot of territory. So exactly. I hope you, I, doc, I said earlier, Dr. Motley is right in the middle. Right in the middle. <laughs> the screen you know is I mean? so funny. It's a Courtney sandwich, but uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll end on that note. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this. Make sure you share this episode. If you liked it, leave us a review. We read them all. I promise. I actually personally read the reviews. I love it. So if you have questions or concerns or just great feedback or comments, um, we want to hear it. We want to hear from you. We're serving you. You guys are our audience, our people, our community. I hope you feel loved. I hope you feel inspired and blessed as you go about your week. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you.